Welcome to episode number two. It's Kevin Dunn. It's Paul Wadlington. We didn't go with that name. We did come up with a name, and Paul, I, I think we, uh, I think we nailed it. What do you think? Are you feeling better a week after? I'm feeling better. I like the name. Uh, I think we should have gone with my original instinct of the Paul Wadlington show featuring Paul Wadlington with Kevin. Okay. But I guess your ego won't allow that. You nope. got to make the podcast about you. So we had to pick something neutral. Yeah, we did. Do you want to give it? It was your idea. Everyone gets. Everyone gets a trophy. Actually, not my idea. I got it from a friend who shall remain nameless, but uh, at his request. But called everyone gets a trophy. Uh, out of laziness, we may start calling it EGAT. Uh, but everyone gets a trophy podcast because we're all winners and everyone deserves a trophy. Yeah, we're living in 2019. And so it, it would make some sense. Obviously, Paul and I are having fun with that. If you know our personalities, or we'll get to know them here on this podcast. You'll realize that uh, th- there's some, there's a lot of old man in us. We're bitter Gen, gen Xers, pretty much, pretty much. That you know, that's it. But uh, we have fun with it, and we do like football, man. So we, let's get to it right away here. What a weekend for Texas football, even with the loss, game day, the whole thing, and then the Texas offense did what they. Did what they do, and they moved the football, although we'll get to early on where they had some problems. But overall, I mean, we'll get into some of the specifics and, and kind of what we saw. This was a good weekend for Texas, but a lot of questions with the secondary. And let's be honest, questions that you and I had and a lot of Texas fans had all offseason. Who's going to be the who are going to be the two cornerbacks? What's the secondary going to look like? And they got roasted. And we talked about Joe Brady and that influence with Joe Burrow. Look, you and I both thought that he was going to look a lot better in that offense would. Did you think they were going to look like that? No, I, I think we helped them look like that. But I, they also have three NFL wide receivers and a good, co- a very good college quarterback. Uh, I was trying to warn people that Joe Burrow is a good player. I was also trying to tell people that this offensive system is a commitment. This is what they're doing. And, you know, there are people postulating online. You probably heard on the Collins show that the second we had a three and out that Ed Orgeron is going to run the ball 60 times out of the eye. And it's like, no, guys, no. like he's all in. They're pot committed. We said that on the podcast last week. And they came out and showed it. I think we did a lot to help make them look that way, even though they obviously have some great talent. Uh, you know, here's the, the problem. And, and here's the, the tough thing about this whole thing. And if you want a flavor for the game day experience and and what that was like, there's a great post on Barkin Carnival by a guy named Joe Levin, who's a college student at Texas, who went camped out for game day and basically recounts the entire experience. He's a really funny guy and a good writer, and it's it's a fun read. So if if anyone hasn't read it on Barkin Carnival, go check it out. Uh, But it kind of feeds into the fact that everything was set up for Texas. The Texas crowd showed up in spades. The Texas offense showed up against what most people believe to be a top 10 defense. The Texas special team showed up, right? We didn't have any miscues. There were no turnovers. The Everything sort of lined up that we would have this incredible, impressive home win and, you know, propel the program to the next level. And I think there was one side of the ball. Well, I should also say the players showed up in the sense that they played extremely hard. Yeah, they I, did. I didn't see any lack of effort. And – by the way, Yancey McKnight put up a W. Yes, he did. Conditioning, in the conditioning column in the summer, right? I mean, 
Ellis, you stopped play 12 times. Well, speaking of that, hold on. I'm going to get some water here. Okay. I'm just really focusing on hydrating, so. Oh, oh perfect, perfect. I've yeah, got a show after that. this, man. Well, hey, if, if you start struggling on this podcast, just fake an injury for about 10 minutes and collect yourself, all right? You've heard my radio show. I do that a lot. <laughs> That's a good I have my own you're, cramping. You're... Your your radio show is a, a form of injury to the public. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, 12 yeah, times, I mean, it was ridiculous. Anytime you play LSU, I know you don't want to hear this, you play them in baseball, they're going to be rolling bats. It's just kind of, their program has always been like that. It fits in the SEC. They're going to they're gonna do everything to try and win a ball game. Yeah, and you know what? I thought Texas responded, and the one deficit was on defense, and I think specifically a defensive coordinator. You know, Todd Orlando has struggled with some of these wide-open, uh, hurry-up passing offenses. Uh, he's destroyed a lot of conventional offenses, which we've always fully given him credit for. But he has really struggled with these sorts of offenses. And, you know, I think, you know, I said that for Texas to win, they're going to have to win on the whiteboards on Wednesday before yeah. they can win on Saturday. One of the on guys offense, did. They, yeah, one of our offensive staff should hold their head high today. Uh, the defensive staff, I, I don't think they won on the whiteboard on Wednesday. Even worse, I don't think they won on the whiteboard on, in the spring and the fall because we didn't install a base defense where these guys feel comfortable. And I've resorted to believing that this defense is nothing but a bunch of play calls on a laminate play sheet, mm. which is not what a defense is. Okay, let's get into the – per- thoughts. You, first off, great stuff by you as always – but there's a couple ways to look at this. I mean, Todd Orlando played zone, then he goes to man. They're getting roasted with both. Really, with zone, Burrow's able to to pick you know pick open spots. And these receivers, we were wondering how nuanced they'd be with this offense. Well, they are nuanced with it, and I, we saw some really good routes. We saw those guys working together with Burrow and having a feel. And so when you're in zone. They're just picking it apart and finding little seams and holes and getting yak with that because there was some bad tackling, something we talked about last week. And then you go to man, and those corners obviously can't hold up. I mean, Jalen Green did not have a good day, but even sometimes where he had good coverage, it was ball skills, and it was he got mossed on one of those where an NFL guy who's 6'3 went up and took it over him. So I, I feel like Green is going to be okay. He's got the talent. He, they just got to be able to continue to get better and work with him. But Orlando's got to be able to cover those two corners. It felt like what we talked about with Oklahoma State where you leave those guys out there, and of course that was going to happen. And we went, let's not even get to the third and 17-0 coverage. Yeah, I mean, so look, when LSU's wide receivers make a physical play on good coverage and they make an amazing play, you just tip your cap, no big deal, move on to the next play. I don't, I don't have an issue with that for the player or the coordinator. The issue I have is that Joe Burrow was 31 of 39 for 471 yards. So we, you know, he completed nearly 80% of his passing attempts on downfield throws. They mm-hmm. weren't dinking and dunking. I mean, he was averaging 12 yards every time he attempted a throw. And, you know, as a general rule, if you have a competent defense and you're playing ba- – our, our base defense, by the way, in that game was dime. We, we spent probably 85% of our snaps in dime, which is exactly what we wanted. And, and when you have that look and you can play six defensive backs, you can usually force a trade-off between accuracy and depth of target. 
right? Yep. So if a team gets a high completion percentage, they're hitting 80% of their throws, it's for less than sure. 10 yards per completion. If they're throwing the ball downfield, you typically get lower accuracy, right? They're going to be hitting less than 60% of their passes at minimum. But we failed on both areas. In both areas. And, and also we say, well, we were in zone and that didn't work. And we were in man and we did that didn't work. Really? I mean, were we? I mean, I understand that that's the call, but do our guys know how to play zone? No. Do our guys really know how to play man? You know, can you help a cornerback in man coverage by giving him a cover over the top? You know, what are you doing with Caden Stearns if you're turning him into a mindless X and running these you preconceived little robber routes and all these different schemes Instead of putting him in the middle of the field, letting him read the quarterback and make plays in the football. You know, same thing goes with, with, uh, with, with, uh, with, with Chris Brown, yeah. with Brandon Jones. I mean, these guys are we didn't see We didn't see a bunch of overshown in this game. No. I mean, look, overshown has assignment sort of issues. And truthfully, to play in this defense, and, and I wrote this on Inside Texas, I broke down the defense and sort of, tried to put everything in context and I ended my, my piece, you know, I'll, I'll leave, I'll bury the lead here and I'll say, you don't want to know why Texas can cross train its linebackers and defensive backs so easily because they're not learning a position. They're just memorizing calls. Well, they don't know. None of these guys know how to play their position. It's, it's not open-ended. They're just running schemes. They're just running little calls. And that in my mind is battleship. That's, that's saying, you know, I-9, no, A-4, no, G-3, no, huh, I'm going to get hit, I'm going to get hit, you know, and then you blunder into a hit and you feel great about yourself, but what about all those misses? Here's, and, here's where you can be optimistic, Paul, is that he okay. has proven the last couple of years that, now it took too long and took a lot longer last year than it did in year one, that he does adapt to the talent. I, I agree with your point. I wish that would be more schemed up and understood in the spring and I know sometimes that you know that just can't happen to where you're just gonna find out once you get to the year because you've got too much turnover personnel guys were out yada 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 whatever that is but it is frustrating that that he just does not seem to be able to get a handle on the personnel and maybe the talent's just not good enough at at those spots I mean they need to go recruit Jimmy and Joe's at the cornerback position we know they're recruiting well but they got to get some guys who can cover, and they got to be able to teach that. And like you said, scheme that. Now, if you're right and they're not teaching positions, we're in a lot of trouble. Well, so here's what I, I'm sympathetic to some of that, but I don't buy, buy some of it. And here's why. We knew who our personnel were, and we knew who, what our strengths were coming to the season. You know, I, I write a preseason preview. We thought we did. And I basically, I basically said the strength of this football team is at safety. So – you need to try to try to base out of dime and you need to play three across on the back end, right? Three safeties, effectively medium to deep, just taking away the deep ball right off the bat. And those three guys are looking at the quarterback, breaking on the ball and, and being football players underneath that allows you to have another three guys in coverage, your nickel and your two corners. So you've got guys underneath, but they know they've got covers. So they can cover very differently. They can squat on routes. They're not worried about getting burned deep. It will change and affect the way they play the football. And then you've got your base of your three-man line. You've got Osai and you've got McCullough. And those five guys in combination with the nickel 
are effectively your run stopping, right? That, that core of six in our defense. Now, beyond that, you don't want to just sit in base. Um, so let's not get too simplistic and people say, well, that's not going to work because X, Y, and Z. No, what it does is it creates a base identity. And what it allows the players to do is develop an understanding of what they're seeing, where the holes are, where they need to anticipate the ball is going to go. Right now, we're just blindly executing calls off a play sheet. And all of these guys are being robbed of, of their, their instinct and their ability to adjust. You know, the, the power of these offenses that we face with the passing rules in their favor, with all the offensive rules in their favor, is that they're open-ended. They're not predetermined when they come up to the line of scrimmage. You know, the more predetermined that offense is, the better Todd Orlando is going to do because he's very good at identifying patterns in, a, in an offense that's conventional. But when the offense itself is open and open-ended, your response can't be being closed-ended on your side and your tactics. Right. You have to be open-ended too. That doesn't mean every single player runs out there and does what they want. You have certain guys on your defense. In fact, most of the guys on your defense are hedgehogs, right? You tell your D-line, you've got this gap. You've got this responsibility. Don't, you've got contained, you know, et cetera, right? But you need to have some safeties and some linebackers who are open-ended who are and who are allowed to adjust to what they're seeing on the field. That's how they become football players. And this need to control every single aspect is exactly the fallacy. I call it the call-matching fallacy. It's the same fallacy that Manny Diaz fell into. It's the same issue that Vance Bedford, near the end of the Charlie Stream, Charlie Strong regime, fell into. It's this idea of, well, the players, they're not coached up the way I want, or we, we didn't coach them up, or we didn't do what we needed, so we're just going to make them dumb X's running the spots and hope we can guess right. And the result is what you see. I mean, LS Kevin, to put it in context, our offense didn't turn the ball over. Our offense put 38 points on the board. On the second half, the offense dominated time of possession, 21, almost 21 minutes to LSU's nine. Yeah. But, but LSU's last three possessions, this is when conditioning and picking up the other team's tendencies and adjustments over the course of the game come to the fore. Their last three possessions, six plays, 75 yards, touchdown. Six plays, 75 yards, touchdown. You want to guess the last one? Was it three plays? It was six plays, six plays. five yards, touchdown. Jeez. So that's – I mean, what else is there to discuss? So the fact is we never put our defense in a bad situation. You know, generally when you have a failure on the scoreboard in terms of just points, right, you see 45 points on the board, it was usually a team effort to put it that way, right? Your, your offense turns it over two or three times. You set up short fields for the defense. You might have a pick six. They might have had a punt return. You might have uh, had a bad kickoff and they start on the 40-yard line. You know, all that sort of stuff. The LSU offense, their average possession started on their 23-yard line. They scored on 8 of 11 of their possessions. 73% of their possessions ended in points. And here's the crazy thing. In a football game where there are 100 passes attempted, and if you, I'm throwing in scrambles and, and, and runs from the quarterback, a, a pass call on that, on both sides total, right? If you add Burrow and Ellinger's attempts, it's 100 pass attempts. Usually in a game like that, you're, it's going to be long, and you're going to have 13 or 14 possessions for each team. LSU only had 11 possessions. Yeah, I know. It's crazy, Tom man. Herman and, 
the offensive staff. Paul, they only ran like 68 plays, but they ran it for 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 eight and a half a clip. And it shows you it. It reminded me, and you'll know this. Older, older Texas fans will look. It's a better talent level. Both talents, the talent we have on defense, and the talent we're actually facing that style of offense. But it reminded me during the Gary Darnell take out the D, the Gary Arnell days. Whenever you're just giving up 300 a, a game on the ground, and they're getting it at 10, 15 a chunk, and you just feel helpless. You just know Makovic better be feeling good today. Yeah. Well, and, and here's the crazy thing. Because we limited LSU to 11 possessions, because of you know the clock milking and the, and the dominance of the Longhorn offense, particularly in the second half, and the dominance of, frankly, Yancey McKnight, uh, had LSU had the number of possessions you'd expect, which is 13 or 14, they put 59 on the scoreboard. So as bad as that 45 looked and as bad as it felt to watch in real time, I'm telling you, because we didn't have a turnover, because the offense kicked ass, possessed the ball, controlled clock, because special teams played really well, LSU earned every single one of those points. And, and that is not typically the case when your defense, your team gives up more than 40 points. Usually there are other contributing factors. And that's the most alarming thing is as bad as it looked, it was worse. It was worse, but I still think for for Texas in the program, that's one of those. I mean, we're talking about what they need to figure out defensively. I don't know if you watched game day and all that and and some of the national reaction from Herb Street, Pollock, guys like that. But they definitely feel like this thing, you know, just the energy and then also the way Texas played against a top-10 team. They're not there yet. There's no doubt about it. What we're talking about defensively is something that real-time Todd Orlando has to get figured out, and and the overview, obviously, is still in pretty good shape. Hey, I want to ask you about two guys, and one I'll give you credit for, because Keontae Ingram clearly just does not have the same burst and explosiveness that he had last year. When he'd hit that X button, he'd really go, and that's not the case right now. I mean, it's amazing that Roshan Johnson was the better back. All of our eyeballs said he should be getting the important touches and carries in this game, so Kudos to him. Talk about Keontae and then also Caden Stearns, because I don't feel like Caden Stearns looks like the same guy either. Yeah, so Keontae, we, we told everyone on the podcast, Keontae's hurt. And Keontae played like he was hurt. Yep. He put the ball on the carpet twice. He dropped a sure touchdown pass. Uh, we can circle back on those two red zone possessions, too, because I know Longhorn fans were concerned about that early. Uh, you know, I, I just think he's hurt. Uh, but Ro Johnson came in and really showed himself to be a baller, um, to, to be a quarterback, switch positions to running back, and pick it up in two weeks, and he's picking up blitzes. Yeah. And, and running, he's running forward. He, he's running with an assertiveness. I mean, he, he yeah. really is. He looks good. Yeah, he was running through arm tackles. He's pushing piles. He's, he's putting subtle, you know, he's one of these guys that can put moves on guys as he's moving forward. He doesn't stop to put a move on someone. Right. And I, I just am very impressed with his gameness. I think, you know, we're not going to really preview Rice too much, but yeah. I think he should get 15 to 18 carries against Rice. And, you know, I, he's, he's staying on our running back depth chart for the rest of this season. The question long term is if we want to keep him there. Uh, it's starting to look like maybe we should. Yep. And, I, you know, I think you and I talked about it. I know BK and I talked about it, and, and we were kind of laughing that once that move was made, he'd 
he's the type of guy to that skill set could really, really translate to that position. I mean, essentially he was, I know he threw a lot, but he was a running quarterback. That's why they're, they're redoing his mechanics and all that. So, you know, he, he always will have that option, which is good if he wants to go back. But if I'm him, obviously for the rest of the year, stick with this. And really the, the question we had last week is, do you get to that fifth game and if other guys come back and are healthy, do you say, okay, do we maybe redshirt him? That seems no. like that. That's out now. That's gone. I mean, that that was a that was a fairy tale to begin with. Anyone who's counting on Kirk Johnson providing us depth is that's. I mean, at some point you have to wake up. And then, well, don't I, I don't think anyone Daniel. was expecting that, but Daniel Young. Well, yeah. I mean, but the fact is, you're you're still running a two deep of two backs, and your lead back Keontae Ingram is hurt. So, I mean, this it's just it's not even you know. Roe Johnson is not going to redshirt, and he's going to be on. He's going to be getting carries up until the final game of the season. So, and then you, you wanted to talk about Caden Stern. You know, I, so I think people may have forgotten that Caden was recovering from an off-season surgery. Yeah, he missed spring. He missed a decent portion of fall conditioning. He did come back and was able to participate in fall camp, but uh, he may have been, you know, still getting acclimated. But you know, what are Caden Stern's primary characteristics? Well. It's his ball skills, it's his range, it's his ability to read the quarterback, and it's his instincts. And we're playing him in a defense where we're, pre- we're predetermining most of what he does. So uh, we're taking the things that really make him special, and instead of having him 15 yards back looking at the quarterback, breaking on the ball, and doing instinctive things, uh, we're putting him in part of this intricate scheme, which is going to trigger all these traps and pressures and Oh, the quarterback will have to throw the ball there, and and then we're going to do this. And guess what? LSU just counted up people outside the box and said, oh, we're just going to throw it there. And every single time Burrow threw it, it was accurate. And, you know, I understand Burrow played well. He threw very accurate balls. He had great composure. But he was throwing to open receivers. They were open. They're always open. Yeah, no, they were open, but you got to give Burrow more credit than that. Joe Burrow played a hell of a game. Yeah, he was, he's awesome. I mean, I tried to tell people that Burrow's a very good quarterback. And uh, the, the offense obviously plays to his strengths. Uh, when Herman recruited him, he compared him to Alex Smith. Yeah, we talked about that last Which, week. You, you and I have been, been fans of Burrow, and if you watched him towards the latter part of last year, especially in that bowl game, you knew that this offense was going to be much better suited for him, and he's, he's, he was getting it. Yeah, and he's also a tough guy. Very so, tough. Yeah, I, I mean, LSU has a lot of upside. They have to fix a couple of things on their defense. You know, on the positive side, the Longhorn offense was fantastic. Uh, Ellinger was a little bit off in the first half, had some inaccuracy on a couple of throws. And then we, did, we didn't convert in the, in the red zone. But I actually have a little sympathy for the coaches on that one. And if you want, we can kind of break that down. Well, obviously, on one, you have sympathy because on the chalkboard, Tom Herman got Aranda. He got him all night, and he got him on that one, too. Gets back to your Keontae Ingram. And you think that with the injury, Keontae's like, you talked about it last night. It's one of those things where if you're injured and you're holding something, sometimes you just kind of drop it, right? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, you were cueing me for that. I, I made a brilliant analogy last night. <laughs> it was. Got it. So basically, if y'all have ever been hiking or just walking around or doing something athletic and you sprain your ankle or you twist your knee and it's like pretty painful, whatever you have in your hands, you drop. Yeah. Uh, it's just a reflex. Even though, you're, even you though your that, hand is fine. Even though your hand is fine, it's the pain 
uh, does something to your CNS and it just sort of short circuits your grip. Uh, and it's, it's because all this stuff, not to go off in a little kinesiology rant, <laughs> yeah, come on. all of our stuff is linked up. It's just one of the reasons why if you're maxing, like lifting weights, yep. one of the things you can do to increase your max is grip the bar as hard as you can with your hands. And it's crazy because th- what it actually does is creates a principle called radiation in which by doing that, it cues your muscles and other parts of your body that you're about to do something very stressful and you get help from all these uh, subtle muscles that you, did, you couldn't engage before. And it's, it's one of the reasons if, if you guys are listening, it's kind of an interesting thing to do. If you make a fist and you kind of squeeze just a little bit, you'll feel some tension in your forearm, right? Yeah. If you squeeze a little harder, you'll feel it in your bicep. Yep. If you squeeze really hard, like super hard white knuckle, all of a sudden you feel it in your triceps, you feel it in your back, and you'll even feel it like in your ass. And, and it's that principle. All this stuff's linked up. So anyway, long way of saying that I think because Keontae's hurt elsewhere, he's just going to struggle with, with ball security. And Herman out-schemed him on that play. It's hard for me to hold that against him when you draw it up perfectly and you have a gimme touchdown. The second one, I'm also sympathetic in that LSU's strength is man coverage, and they're big as hell, and they're hard to move. And so the closer you get to the goal line, the more it plays into their favor defensively. And so we ran our power with Ellinger. That was not successful. We tried the little tight end pop pass. Yep. That didn't work. LSU was all over it. They scouted it out. They understood what Ellinger was doing on that. And, of course, Ingram's hurt. So you can't really trust him that much near the goal line. He, almost, you know, he, he frankly put the ball on the carpet down there. So I'm kind of sympathetic to the coaches. Maybe, maybe you go five wide and see how LSU defenses it. And if they're light in the box, spread them out, right. runs a draw. Yeah. Right. Yep. Or if they cover five across and they, they load the box, then you, you throw it. But man, I, I don't, I think it's easier said than done. And you got to realize that you're playing into the, the total strength of the LSU defense when you're within the, the three, you know, five to three yards from the end zone. Do you not kick there? The second time there's a, there's a coin flip argument that right. you kick, right? You take yep. the three points. I was torn. I, I was 50-50. I'm a go-forward on fourth down guy. I am, that's too. That's the analytics point. Uh, but the analytics have to be leavened with the reality of what's happening in the game. Right. And if you realize that you're not able to move their dudes and you're not able to get the push that you're accustomed to, then it's tough. So, yeah, I mean, look, was that decisive in the ultimate game result? The fact is that the Texas offense put 38 points on the board yeah. with no help from the defense, right? The defense did nothing other than one uh, incredible Joe O'Sai play off the McCullough tip where they set us up again you know, in the red zone. Um, and then, frankly, they scored on every possession in the second half. I think people forget that. Texas scored uh, in every single possession they had in the second half. So, you know, I, I – it's very difficult for me to fault the offense in totality for that game plan, which I thought was an A for their execution, which I thought was an A. And even Ellinger's play was a little slow in the first half. In the second half, he was nailed. And he was exactly the competitor that you and I know he is. Uh, and I thought he was phenomenal. It shows you the burden that we put on him. It shows you just how far he's come because you're right. I mean, it wasn't even an A game for him and he goes for 461 total yards. I mean, that's VY territory. Like this guy from 
from, what, third, fourth possession on. I think he comes out in these games because he did it in the Big 12 championship game. He comes out a little too amped up. He's that type of guy, and you can see it yep. on, some, on some of his throws. And then once he settles down, he, he threw some great footballs. Both quarterbacks back and forth were throwing some good stuff. One thing offensively, I know you saw it. It was more early on, but Parker Braun was getting mauled in pass pro. That, that could be a problem this year. Well, so here's the deal with LSU's D-line. I mean, they, they are huge. That's a bunch of four- and five-star guys themselves, right? And these are guys that are all uh, you know, NFL futures at some level. Uh, and early in a possession, they're a handful. What was interesting is as the possessions continued, they wore out. LSU, LSU was the one getting mauled. Parker Braun laid an ass-whipping on some guys in that game and he won more than he lost. I can tell you that after reviewing the game. And so did the whole Texas offensive line. I, I was very impressed with the Texas O line. Cosme and- Cosme was just fantastic. He was so good that they had to move chase on to the other side. And you're exactly right about that. That's why I said it was really the, the first quarter, maybe first half. Cause it was obvious LSU defensive line did not have the same punch once that game went on. Yeah. And, you know, and Braun even drew a, a PI call or, or not a PI, a personal foul call on a LSU defensive lineman yeah. who had to, out of frustration, put hands to his face and, and tried to rip his helmet off. So uh, Braun is also uh, devastating on pulls. He is. Oh, he's a hell he of a run really, blocker, man. Yeah, he's he has great pad level. He's aggressive and uh, he is a dark alley guy. He's a guy you want with you if, if you're going to go out and fight after the game and uh I was very impressed with him. I was impressed with the whole offensive line. They played well. Uh, you're going to win some, lose some on the offensive line. They won a lot more than they lost. Yep. And frankly, I thought they 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 really put they imposed their willpower on LSU's defense in the second half. There's a a great play on that 19 uh, play drive. I think it's like play 17 or 18 where Braun gets under number 90 boards and picks him up and drives him all the way to the end zone and plants him on the G of the Longhorn. And Man. that guy, Richard Lawrence, didn't get up for 10 minutes after that play. So uh, Braun, was, Braun was down for a 12-round 12, 12 fight, and uh, he might have taken a couple of shots in round one and two, but he was the guy throwing power shots in, in 10, 11, and 12. Well, the, rea- so, the, the reality is you just can't fault the offense for this. I mean, like you said, it, it was uh, – a couple things maybe here and there, but this is the offense is not why Texas lost this game. We know why they did. We'll see how big of an issue that is. B.J. Foster is going to be out for a couple weeks with a hamstring injury, and I'm thinking about Oklahoma State. I'm thinking about what Gundy has done to Orlando. We better get this thing fixed pretty quickly. Yeah, so I watched the Oklahoma State, McNeese State highlights, uh, not because I thought it would be a game or useful, but because I just want to see Spencer Sanders again. Right. He's he's good, man. Yeah, he is. He, he has total command of that offense. He's mobile. He ran 12 times again, he, which tells me that his knees are fine. He was 12 of 18 for 250 yards, three touchdowns, and he was dealing. He is very accurate, and he appears to understand Gundy's offense backwards and forwards. I don't like their defense, but it was worth noting in that game, A.J. Green, their standout cornerback, had a pick six, and – I think they are going to try to go man on our receivers, which LSU did, right? Because they were anticipating shutting down Colin Johnson, and they didn't realize that Duvernay and Eagles were going to be as as, as threatening as they turned out to be. Right. But uh, I think that's a game plan that people are going to try to recreate 
And, you know, a lot of Big 12 teams, I think they realize that they might be able to win a shootout with Texas. So uh, it's really just on our defense to make that not be the case. I mean, I can't say it any simpler than that. This could really be a typical Big 12 year, especially for us here. But, man, I'll say this. Uh, you, you and I know that we've, we've seen seen a lot of Texas football, so a lot of that's been bad times, especially growing up here. I'm just glad we're relevant. I'm glad that we can play with top 10 teams. I'm glad that college game day came down. It, it's nice to be at the party again. Yeah, I mean, look, I've, I'll, I've said it before and I'll say it again. And so some of the observations we're making – you can make observations in a game at the play level, the player level, the coordinator level, but then there's bigger observations that really matter the most. That's the program level. Yep. At the program level, Tom Herman's getting it done. Texas is physical. Texas plays loose in these big games, right? Yeah. They game plan the hell out of people, which you saw against Georgia. You saw it against LSU. I think there's one side of the ball that's got a deficiency. And, you know, I'm not – I mean, I just can't say it any more plainly than that. So how do we go about addressing that? And, you know, I, I think there is some, a plan in place that you can put in and, and even put in, it's not too late, to try to staunch some of the bleeding. But I think, particularly this offseason, Todd Orlando needs to have a big come-to-Jesus moment on his schemes, his philosophies, and what he's really doing in terms of teaching versus making guys mindless robots executing a play on an index card. Joe Burrow said, I, I, once I saw they're going to be in cover one a bunch, uh, I knew exactly what to do. It's funny because LSU had the better cornerbacks, but, man, they had two safeties over top. Not to say that their scheme was obviously the right answer because neither defense or DBU can walk out of this one saying, yep, we got you. But it, I just that kind of struck me. You know, They've got better secondary guys right now, and they're giving them more help. Well, you know, what's beautiful about our offense is we finally have multiple threats at multiple level, levels uh, of wide receiver. I mean, when, when you run out Eagles, Duvernay, and Johnson, that's a, that's a receiving core that, you know, it used to be that you could kind of ignore a guy or two that was out there. Mm-hmm. And that is no longer the case. No. Mr. Duvernay is, is weaponized. Eagles is a freaking load. And so I was watching the game – uh, with a girl, and I, and I asked her, how big do you think that guy is you know, when the Eagles was scoring his second touchdown? Yeah. And she said, uh, uh, I don't know, like six feet, 190 pounds? No. <laughs> and I was like, he's, he's about 6'3", 230. <laughs> and she was like, oh, my God. But that, that just gives you some idea of how he's put together and how he moves. So I, I, I just – I'm really excited about the offense and – you know, in the bigger picture, I'm bummed out about the game because it was right there to win, right there to steal, frankly. But, you know, in the big picture, it doesn't matter. If you go win the Big 12, that's a great season. Yeah. And, frankly, we just need to show that we can handle Oklahoma State's offense. We need to try to show we can handle OU's offense and Baylor's offense. And we've got the formula to, to really deal with more conventional attacks. So, I don't know. I'm still optimistic about the team. I'm, I'm by no means trying to be negative Nancy, but it is very, very frustrating to have every single thing line up exactly the way you need to upset LSU in Austin. And there's one side of the ball that just got worked over pretty hard. No. And it happened 
It happened in the coaching booth. I'm with you, man. I'm with you. I wanted uh, Orlando, Herman, and Ellinger to all show up, and I figured Texas would win at that point. Two out of the three did. And then, of course, you also run into that type of offense. It's bad timing. Uh, everything you said about Orlando, I'm with you on that. And so Texas, he's got to figure that out. But there were two teams that just look completely different, and they have a rep for a reason, and that rep is not being overly creative offensively or using your talent. LSU on Saturday – then what happened to the Dallas Cowboys? Do they have themselves an offensive coordinator now? They've got an offensive coordinator. His name is Kellen Moore. And for those of you who uh, watched the rise of Boise State, he was the guy that was uh, guiding that rise. And not the greatest physical talent. (laughs) (laughs) No, it it wasn't Marino. No, he is not Dan Marino. But tell you what, man, he was smart as hell. And he knew where he wanted to put the ball. And he was steeped in this really interesting system built on creativity. And he brought that to the Cowboys, and it looked phenomenal against the Giants. The Giants are a terrible football team, but Dallas is completely weaponized. They're using motion. They're using tons of play action. Motion? Whoa. Motion. How exotic. Man. Helping the quarterback identify the coverage before the snap. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. What? How how forward-thinking. So – yeah, I tell you what, it, it's, a, it's highlighted to me just how lazy Jason Garrett is, how much he relied on that incredible Dallas offensive line, and before that, Tony Romo and his ability to, to make audibles and adjust and, and find matchups. But they, they got Kellen Moore. He's completely running the show. And I know it's obvious that Dak Prescott was weaponized. It's obvious that Amari Cooper is going to benefit. You and I were talking last night that I think the big beneficiary is going to be Michael Gallup. Yeah. He is – he is a really good receiver, and I think as that number two guy, I think he's going to kill people. I, yeah, I watched him at Colorado State, and when they drafted him, I was on the air and said, I, I like this guy's body control. He, he, he really has a good awareness as a receiver, and if someone can scheme him open, he's not a 4-3 guy who's going to do that on his own and take off the top, but this guy can get open, and when he does, he can make some good plays. Yep, great body control, great hands, flypaper hands. And, you know, what's interesting about him is he's a list illustrative of a couple of other principles, which is how many good receivers there are out there at the high school and college level, right? It's a, it's really a commoditized position. And, and it's also an example of how great talent, if it keeps working, can make its way to the NFL. The reason is Gallup didn't make his grades in high school. He went to JUCO. He was a star as a freshman at Butler Community College in Kansas. Yeah. Hurt, Big- him, hurt himself as a sophomore got passed over by all the P5 schools. Colorado State took him, and then he set all their records, and he now is in the NFL. Colorado State has put three NFL wide receivers in the draft in the last two years. That's crazy. I didn't know it was three. Yeah, Rashard Hickens at Cleveland, who's a good player. And then I'm blanking on the other guy who was drafted this year. But it just goes to show how many good receivers are out there and how much you can unlock them just with good scheme and, and a good passing attack. Did you watch Houston last night? That game, I thought that was a hell of a football game, man. Awesome football game. The New Orleans Saints at home are incredibly difficult to beat, arguably the best home field advantage in, in football at the NFL level, certainly. And For night games, Drew too. Was, Drew, yeah, Drew Brees was dealing. Uh, Alvin Kamara looked awesome. Sean Payton had some awesome stuff. But Deshaun Watson is such a stud. I'm a Cowboys fan, but I love Deshaun Watson. He I, is 
I'm all, all about him, man. I'm all about him. And I'm, I, was, I was all about him at Clemson. I was curious how it was going to translate. He made some throws and just his pocket awareness last night. That last touchdown was – he's also gutsy as hell. We talked about the toughness of Burrow and also Ellinger. Watson has that in spades. He watched – he knew that they had the right call for the same splits. He knew Kenny Stills was going to be open on that skinny post. Yep. But he also knew that he had to hold the ball and get hit really hard in the face to deliver it. So Watson stands there, waits for it to break open, and steps into the blitzer as he gets nailed. Throws a strike, still scores what should have been the winning touchdown, but Houston did Houston Texan things after that. Uh, And Watson's laying on the ground, writhing in pain, and his teammates are like, Hey, it was a touchdown, man. And you see him give a thumbs up. (laughs) (laughs) And he's smiling, too. He's smiling. Like, how can you not love that dude? I don't care who you're a fan of. Deshaun Watson is, like, what's right with the NFL and the game of football. I Uh, completely agree. And and, and also the throw before that, too. I mean, that was a two-play drive. There was, what, 40, 50 seconds left when that thing started. And you end up getting uh, a touchdown and also a field goal. You're exactly right. The Texans going into that prevent when Drew only needed seven yards to at least make that doable. The kid Lutz had hit a 57-yarder before. It's in a dome. That that was dumb. But that that first throw that he threw was was just on the money. Yep. Yeah, Watson's a stud. And uh, they better win now. Because Bill O'Brien just for, you know, mortgaged their entire future to to get Laramie Tunsil. They they lost to David Clowney, who had become disenchanted with the franchise, and the, the Seahawks were able to acquire him for a pretty modest pick, which I don't blame the Texans as much for. But man, they they traded the farm for Laramie Tunsil, and people are acting like Laramie Tunsil is an All Pro offensive tackle. He is an NFL average tackle. And they traded basically their entire draft or the top end of their draft for Tunsil. So if the Texans don't win now, there's no help coming down the road. So I, I kind of feel bad for Deshaun Watson on that on that event. Yeah, but, I'm with you on that. And look, there's obviously a lot of people in the state here that have been pissed off about how all that was handled. They had to go get someone, so Tunsil should help out. But um, I, I wouldn't feel I don't feel great about the overview for them and the long term prospects, but. In terms of this year, this is going to be a pretty tough football team as long as they stay healthy. Well, I can tell you, even if they win their division and go to the playoffs, they're going to play a team that may be the best team. This is a team that's won six Super Bowls uh, in the last 20 years and been in, what, 10 more or 10 total? Yeah. Uh, And that's the New England Patriots, and the rich got richer. Oh, man. So, How about that? Antonio – Antonio Brown, if you guys haven't followed the saga, he cryotherapies his feet into frostbite. He's been an idiot on Instagram. He doesn't show up to practice for the Raiders. He gets fined, a nominal fine, because he didn't show up. He threatens the GM, Mike Mayock, calls him a cracker, and threatens to beat him up. Uh, he gets held back by Vontaze Perfect, which is hilarious in and of itself. And the text to the Raiders hit him up with conduct detrimental, and they suspend him for the Monday night game. Well, John Gruden, who has a 10-year contract, goes up to Mayock, who is supposedly his boss but is not, and says, uh, hey, uh, Antonio Brown's going to play there, Mike. And Mayock's like, uh, well, I suspended him. And Gruden's like, no, nah, he's good. So they revoke his suspension. He's going to play. In the meanwhile, Antonio Brown says he wants to be released. 
The Raiders finally get decide that they're just going to get out from under that money. They had a $30 million guarantee, $30 million guarantee on Antonio Brown. They decide to get out of that. They release him. The Patriots sign him. And now that Tom Brady has a receiving core that goes Josh Gordon, Antonio Brown, Julian Edelman. It's completely unfair. He's never had a core. He, you know what? He's never had a core that complete that I can think of. I mean, when he had Welker and Moss. Moss is close. Phenomenal. Yeah. But and, – and here, you want to hear the Patriots' schedule at the start of the season? Go. Well, they just destroyed the Steelers, which they do every time. Every time Tomlin goes against Belichick, it's like a checkers player going against the chess player. <laughs> this week they played the Dolphins. Then they played the Jets. Then they played the Bills. Then they played the Redskins. Mm. Then they played the Giants. Then they played the Jets again. Unbelievable. They get the Browns at home, which how's Freddie Kitchens versus Bill Belichick going to go for the coaching matchup? Uh, they don't play football teams until November. <laughs> the Patriots are going to be 8-0. They're going to go 13-3, and and they're going to win the freaking Super Bowl again, Kevin. Uh, that would not surprise me at all, especially with the talent they have, and Brady will probably come back again. So, this, yeah. like you said, the, the rich get richer, and it's – it, that was the worst-kept secret. I don't know if it was a secret, but everyone was expecting the Patriots to get them, and they did. Yeah, I mean, so some people do think it was collusion, the right. Antonio Brown's master plan all along. No, he's an idiot who fell into a <laughs> mud hole and came out with a fish in his pocket. Agreed. But the reason being, because he had $30 million guaranteed to the Raiders, so he effectively lost like $20 million in this deal. So people are like, Antonio Brown laughing at his orchestrated plan it's like well then he's a moron because he cost himself 20 million bucks uh but unbelievable for the patriots and the thing is if antonio brown acts like an idiot they just beat the steelers 33 to 3 without him i mean it's not like they needed the help no now this just this is just them going 13 and 3 14 and 2 getting their typical first round by they scheme up the entire off week it's it's freaking snowing in New England when a whatever AFC team comes in there, and then they're going to get you – know, it's going to be the Chiefs, right? And then they're going to solve Mahomes, and they're going to go to the freaking Super Bowl again. Oh, thanks, so, thanks, for ruining the, thanks for ruining the story, you asshole. Yeah, well, they're going to play the Dallas I, Cowboys in the Super Bowl. Cancel the season. Cancel the season. No, you're probably right about that. Uh, we do, uh, do have a couple sponsors here. Do you know about that? Yeah, about I do every, know about that. Everyone gets a trophy. And don't forget to check out Brad and also Joe, and that is the 1-0 podcast. We are sponsored by AV Consultations. Love Tom McKay, really good guy. So if you're here in Austin, you want to get the TV set up, maybe you've been to a Pluckers and you see all the TV setups, uh, then go ahead and uh, give them a call, or you can just get online. You can do it at avconsultations.com or call them 512-255-8678. Everyone Gets a Trophy is also sponsored by Altstadt Beer. It is German beer made here and the best beer that you can find in Central Texas. Accompany your football watching all season long with the greatness of Altstadt Beer. No impurities, no regrets. All right, anything else you you got here, Paul? uh, What did we miss? Uh, I don't think we have anything else. We hit on the high points of uh, Texas football at all levels, college to NFL. We have Rice on Saturday. That shouldn't be a problem. Hopefully, that's going to be the Roshan Johnson show. And uh, we're just going to do what we need to get the win. Uh, But I think the bigger thing that they need to be doing this week and next is getting geared up on defense and maybe, you know, install a base defense 
and yeah, that'd be maybe nice. use that to get those guys comfortable in what their positions are. Uh, they better get their ass in gear because this is not going to be the only offense they face with uh, that's a high-powered attack. And as you've talked about, Spencer Sanders and the Cowboys are coming to town in a couple weeks. Had fun, man. Ep- episode two is in the books, and we'll talk next week. Yep.